Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, we're glad you're with us. It's the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. we got a lot to talk about, so grab a stool and join the conversation. And... Jim, we've got good, bad, and crazy martinis for today. We should also wish everyone, of course, a happy Groundhog Day. Six more weeks of winter, according to Punxsutawney Phil, but Jim, this day has just never been the same since nine years ago. Staten Island Chuck was viciously murdered by then-New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio. And so the day, which was always completely festive, now has a cloud hanging over, unfortunately. It is, Greg, but look at the upside. Now, thanks to the uh, the holiday and obviously the excellent Bill Murray film, we can simply rerun this program over and over again, and everyone <laughs> will think it's just a joke. <laughs> uh, yes, Mrs. Kermis and I will definitely be watching that movie this evening. So uh, let's get to our first martini of the day, the good martini. Uh, we got some brand new Republican members of the House of Representatives, obviously, since they were able to win the majority. One of them is Wesley Hunt, who you might remember from that epic Dan Crenshaw video where he skydives, uh, parachutes out of the plane to go find uh, house recruits. That was actually from the 2020 cycle. And Wesley Hunt didn't win that year. But uh, as a result of the census, Texas has more districts. Hunt ran in a more conservative district, and uh, he is now in Congress. He is a black Republican. You may remember he was the one during the speaker votes whose uh, wife had just had the baby and uh, having some complications, and he flew back to Texas briefly to be with his family and then came back to be there for the final votes. And so he was uh, speaking on the issue of border security and the uh, very big problem of fentanyl being smuggled in by the cartels and spread to our communities and, and poisoning uh, people of all ages, but especially young people. And so he was responding to the idea that uh, the desire to have a secure and orderly situation at the border is really a racist thing. It's not really that the Republicans uh, have a problem with the policies at the border. Wesley Hunt uh, has some real issues with that narrative, and he blew them up in committee this week. But this is actually not about race. This is actually an issue of public safety. And if I call this if I call this an invasion, sir, I'm not racist. I can assure you I'm not racist. What I can assure you is that I want to make sure that fentanyl doesn't indiscriminately kill any race, religion, color, or creed. Because fentanyl doesn't care where you're from. Fentanyl doesn't care about race. Fentanyl kills indiscriminately. And the reason why we have to be careful with what we call and what we deem racist moving forward in the future is because we stop, we stop losing, we start to lose focus on what the actual problem is. This administration, the Democrat Party, unfortunately, uses race as a scapegoat for everything. And as somebody that wants to make sure that we do attack racist issues when they do occur, we can't be the boy who cried wolf and blame racism all the time. I am here to hold this administration accountable to understand that there are issues of race that need to be addressed. And, sir, this ain't one of them. Well said, Jim, I think. And, uh, you know, this is an administration whose policies we've talked about time and time again, directly leading to the complete mess at our border and internally with the trafficking of fentanyl and humans and everything else. And so uh, Wesley Hunt, I think, doing an effective job of calling out the Biden administration's inability to defend its own policies. And so, of course, they, they try to play the race card. Yeah, and one of the things that's always been kind of strange about the controversy and the intense passions around this issue is that those who are victimized by 
drug traffickers, those who are victimized by international gangs like MS-13, those who are victimized by crimes committed by illegal immigrants, they're both Democrats and Republicans. In fact, a good chunk of them, if they're, you know, generally in the poorer neighborhoods, generally in places, uh, uh, you know, it's not the country club crowd who's likely to be a victim of these crimes, um, that they're going to suffer from this too. So you'd think the average Democrat has a great deal of interest in seeing a secure border. This doesn't mean we we end all legal immigration. This doesn't mean that we shut down all our ports. It just means we put more resources in trying to make sure that the people who are allowed to come into our country on legit visas and things like that get to come into our country. And the people who we don't want to get into our country, specifically drug traffickers and gang members and criminal gangs and, and coyotes who are doing human trafficking and things like that, we do our best to make sure that they can't get into the country. And this shouldn't be that controversial an issue. Wesley Hunt lays it out very well. And we're kind of left, you'll be fuddled here. The only way to kind of explain it is that the Democrats look at the insecure border as almost a prerequisite for uh, the continued rate of illegal immigration into the country. The last estimate was 11 million, but God only knows exactly how many there are here. The Biden administration and various other Democrats preceding them have always offered some variation of amnesty in the form of a path to citizenship. Sometimes they want you to pay a fine. Sometimes they want you to pass a background check. Uh, every once in a while, they'll say you'd have to pay taxes on like three of the last five years. Greg, I don't know about you. I've paid taxes on five of the last five years. I don't understand <laughs> why somebody who got into the country illegally would be given some sort of break like that. But that this is, you know, from the very beginning, there's been this attitude of, of foot dragging in the sense that Democrats are only half hearted or at least Democratic officials are rather half hearted in their desire to prevent uh, people and unwanted goods like fentanyl from coming over the border. Thank you, Wesley Hunt. I don't think it's going to make a huge difference, but I'm glad somebody up there on Capitol Hill is saying what needs to be said. Yeah, and he said it very well. Uh, you know, Biden's doing some new policies to kind of tinker around the edges. I, I think he just wants slightly better numbers, uh, assuming he runs for re-election so he can claim that the situation's getting better. Uh, but this is still a situation where he's not willing to do what needs to be done. I mean, you look at, and it's not just the, the coming out of the pandemic, uh, if you look at where the numbers were before he became president and, and what they were afterwards, and even leading up to his inauguration from Election Day based on what he promised, it's inarguable, I think, that his policies are directly responsible for what we're seeing. Well, just because Joe Biden's a total mess when it comes to border policy and a lot of other policies doesn't mean that you have to be reckless when it comes to your internet activity. Hey, you don't need your internet service provider spying on you, and same thing with hackers. So protect yourself. To keep your data private when you go online, turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know that there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or even get your consent. And one of those data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP address to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, your connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and your IP address is masked. No matter what device you're on, whether it's a phone or a laptop or a smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button and you're protected. All right. So if you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash martini and also get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash martini. Go to expressvpn.com slash martini to learn more. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini now. And this was also the focus of your morning jolt today. 
Hunter Biden is getting litigious. Yeah, he's going after people. Uh, as you point out, Matt Viser in the Washington Post reporting that Hunter Biden's lawyers, in a newly aggressive strategy, sent a series of blistering letters Wednesday to state and federal prosecutors urging criminal investigations into those who accessed and disseminated his personal data and sent a separate letter threatening Fox News host Tucker Carlson with a defamation lawsuit. Jim, and as you point out in the jolt today, well, if these people are accused of accessing and disseminating his personal data, that means the laptop was his. That's something that he wouldn't admit before. And we got this when the allegation and the story first erupted in October of 2020 from his dad in the final debate. 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. They have said that this is has all the care Four, five former heads of the CIA. Both parties say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. Well, that means there's five former heads of the CIA we should never take seriously again. But, Jim, what do you make of uh, Hunter Biden going on offense here? I, I suspect this is going to backfire a great deal. But there is something weirdly, illustratively shameless about it. Uh, for Hunter Biden not just to play victim, which I think you probably could figure would be a regular part of the usual public relations spin effort uh, at work in a place like this, but to turn around, you know, it's not just when he's saying, oh, Tucker Carlson, Rudy Giuliani, Steve Bannon. And by the way, I'm not always a huge fan of all those guys, but the idea that they're the, you know, they've broken the law here is pretty, uh, uh, pretty implausible. But I, the other thing that I, I laid out in pretty much detail is that Hunter Biden, first of all, this idea that basically you just, you know, if you want someone, the government to prosecute someone, you just write a letter saying, please prosecute this someone. Uh, I'm not really sure. It's, it's not a drive through. You can't go up and order a prosecution. Um, <laughs> but what's more is that the two people, at least two of the people he's written to, like the first one was the the attorney general of, of the state of Delaware. Um Kathy Jennings. Now, you may recall that uh, Hunter Biden's brother, Bo, was also the attorney general of the state of Delaware. Bo Biden hired Kathy Jennings back when he was state AG. Uh, some of her staff also worked for, for then Senator Joe Biden and eventually Vice President Joe Biden. Um, I mean, this is and she's literally said, I've known Joe, Jill and the Biden family for most of my life in when she was endorsing Biden back in the 2020 cycle. She can't handle this. She'd have to pass this off to some underling who had no tie to the Biden family. And honest to goodness, it seems like in the realm of state prosecutors in the state of Delaware, finding someone who doesn't have a tie to the Biden family might be kind of a challenge. Certainly the top two figures are, uh, are, are you know, longtime Biden family friends. Um, then the other one is he sent to the uh, U.S. Department of Justice, the National Security Division, run by a guy by the name of Matthew Olson. Up until he left in the late Obama years, Olson was pretty well respected. Uh, Bush had made Olson the deputy attorney, assistant attorney general for the National Security Division way back in 2006. Uh, Olson leaves government life and he becomes, a, in, in the private sector, a fairly outspoken critic of the Trump administration, uh, saying that ISIS wants to see Trump elected, criticizing Trump's decisions. Now, it's a free country and Olson can do that, except... Roll up to you know the Biden days, and Biden chooses Olson to run the National Security Division, and almost all, not quite all, but almost all the senators, of Republican senators, looked at him and said, "You know what? Um, as Marco Rubio put it, institutions are only as good as the American public's confidence in them, and Mr. Olson would further undermine public confidence in America's national security institutions. I appreciate Mr. Olson's prior public service, but he no longer has the credibility necessary to fulfill this important role." given the partisan nature of his post-government writings. And this seems like a pretty reasonable 
perspective from where I am. You know, that look, if you want to work in a sensitive manner and you choose to retire from government work life and uh, Olson went to work for Uber, apparently was very well compensated for that. If you want to be partisan, you can, but it's very tough to go into that, to the, you know, back into the Department of Justice or any other part of the law enforcement community, or I guess for intelligence or military or national security agency, something like that, and to say, oh, don't worry, I'm not partisan anymore. I mean, we've already seen. We know how you see the world. We know, and not just that you're, you have politi- strong political views, you've chosen to express those political views. You've explicitly said, I'm for this person, and I think people should vote for this person, and they should not vote for that other person. Makes it a lot tougher to do your job. But Democrats had enough votes and he got back in there. But in this case, Hunter Biden is writing to a guy that his dad appointed and who spoke out against Trump to go investigate allies of Trump. And oh, by the way, if he did this, this would basically basically, dear deep state, please save me and the deep state obliging. So in a way you can make this, it's conceivable. You could say Hunter Biden now made it impossible for these officials to go out and uh, prosecute the likes of Giuliani and Bannon and things like that. Nonetheless, I do think there's a certain shamelessness at work here. There's a certain um, attitude that the federal government exists to serve the Biden family and that, you know, because Biden doesn't because Hunter Biden doesn't like these people, all of these people who are in their jobs because of Joe Biden should jump and start doing exactly as uh, Hunter Biden asks. Is this potentially trying to get the FBI to I don't know if they were moving that aggressively on the Hunter Biden investigation anyway, but is it kind of a underhanded way of uh, pushing them to back off too? Or is this really just about him kind of losing his temper and, and just trying to get anybody who can to help him? I've heard some people say this this gives off a little bit of a vibe of desperation, a little bit of a vibe of that this is not the kind of move you make if you're really confident about what's to come in all of these House investigations and things like that. I don't know if that really is. Or I mean, the thing is that, you know, Hunter Biden has a long history of really bad judgment. So it's hard to say that this is out of the ordinary for him. Um, but this does not scream confidence. And this does scream uh, an effort to kind of muddy the waters by saying, I'm not the villain here. I'm the victim here. The real villains, the real criminals are those guys over there. Look over there. All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini now. And this is kind of a double-fisted uh, crazy martini. Uh, we just talked uh, a couple of times in the past few days about uh, people who are thinking about running for president that probably ought not to. Uh, now there's the issue of running for Senate, and one race uh, in particular, and that's out in California. Everybody's pretty much assuming that Dianne Feinstein isn't running for another term. She'll be 91 by the time Election Day 2024 rolls around. There's been lots of stories about whether uh, she's still you know, strong cognitively and so forth. And now we've got fundraising numbers, uh, courtesy of National Journal and their reporter over there, Matt Holt, about folks who are up in 2024. And you see folks like Josh Hawley's got $3.9 million in the bank, uh, Sherrod Brown, 3.4, John Tester, 2.8. These people are obviously running. Dianne Feinstein raised a whopping $558.31 in the fourth quarter of last year, and she has a little under $10,000 in cash on hand. She's obviously not running. Her office released a statement uh, earlier this week saying she'll have an announcement in the spring. Earlier it had been next year, but then it was in the spring because I don't make announcements in winter. I'm not sure why that policy exists. But you've already got Katie Porter and Adam Schiff in the race, and now we've got Nancy Pelosi saying she has given her wholehearted support to Adam Schiff if Feinstein doesn't run, which she knows is likely to be the case. And I guess, Jim, she's trying to protect her own reputation since she 
handed Schiff the responsibility of uh, leading the impeachment uh, effort against uh, Donald Trump. But uh, what do you make of Feinstein delaying the inevitable and uh, Nancy Pelosi uh, weighing in on behalf of Schiff? The idea that uh, Pelosi is endorsing Schiff is kind of a uh, not-so-subtle signal, okay, Diane, it's time to head to the door. Um, I can't pretend that you, know, you, my longtime friend, are still qualified to do all this. The other thing that is just kind of weird about this, she had said, oh, I'll, I'll make an announcement next year, which was pretty late in the cycle. Uh, and some people genuinely asked, did she know what year it was? Um, but the other thing, you know, like we, we've seen stories that you know began kind of quiet murmurs and illusions, and and now it's all it's all straight up for straightforward direct. You know, no, she's not she's not ready for this. She's uh, uh, really in in rough shape. She she you know trains of thought get lost. Um, she gets confused easily. I mean, everybody kind of can tell. Diane Feinstein does not have uh, what it takes to be a senator anymore, and yet. She doesn't want to come out and acknowledge the obvious. And I think I noted that if she, you know, chose to run for another term, she would be well into her 90s. Look, I, I it's, you know, the, the I, you kind of wonder who's around Diane Feinstein and who's willing to tell her, look, you really can't do this job anymore. It's time to move on. Um, her bizarre refusal to acknowledge the obvious only makes it even more clear that she really should not be a U.S. senator. Yeah, it, it just makes no sense because everybody knows this is coming. So I'm not sure how this advantages anyone for her to delay this announcement but uh good good point on your part there by saying once pelosi weighs in that's kind of like a two-handed shove in the back but uh we'll see how it all plays out meanwhile jim have a great day we'll see you tomorrow when it's actually friday see you tomorrow Greg. jim garrity national review i'm greg Columbus of radio america thanks so much for being with us today do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already and tell a friend about us as well Thank you so much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Also, get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play 3 Martini Lunch Podcast and follow us both on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Thursday and join us again on Friday for the next 3 Martini Lunch.